So Colossians 1:24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. And yeah, good morning. North Mountain. Gosh, it's so good to be here. It's so good to see you guys. Uh, I love you. I love this church. I know some of you. Uh, some of you, many of you I don't know. Uh, but man, I love this church. I love what God's doing here. I love your pastor. Um, I think I like Aubrey a little more. Actually, she's pretty amazing. I miss that laugh. Oh, man. For like eight years, I could preach and count on that laugh. Like you would hear it in the recordings on the video. Like, oh, Aubrey was there that day. And uh, man, I, Aubrey, I miss that. Um, but it's uh, it's great to be here. I, I love air conditioning. And uh, if only it was working, you know? Um, you know, the first part of this passage, verse 24, now I rejoice in my suffering, right? So if at some point you just feel like it's too hot, well, get on board. Rejoice in your sufferings. Um, but I actually, I do want to pause and take a moment. I, I've known Josh for um, a long time, as he said, about a decade now. And, um, and Josh, when you first got into ministry... And were interested before you were, you know, in any kind of vocational ministry. I know you did not get into it because you thought, you know, what I'd like to do is solve air conditioning problems. Um, you didn't start a church because you wanted to, you know, be a property manager. You wanted to preach the gospel and teach the word and love people. And you have been busting your butt over this last month to try to get this stuff fixed. We thought it was fixed. Friday turned out not to be. You said you had a bad vibe this morning. Came in and early and there was some power out and I just want to honor you for your hard work um, I know you're super frustrated by this um, and I just want everyone else to know this is not for a lack of effort or leadership or intentionality and I just feel like we need to honor your pastor today and, and say thank you to him so thank you. Um, I feel a little bit like the Apostle Paul as I come here, not that I have any kind of that sort of spirituality or authority, but, but in this letter what he's doing is he's writing to this distant church and he's encouraging them and connecting to them. That's kind of how I feel. Uh, the difference is Paul never met the Colossians. I've actually gotten to be here a few times and, and so it's great to be here and I feel a little bit like a mom. 
I know that's like, you know, some sort of cultural appropriation of, you know, saying I'm like a monk. But uh, I feel like that. I, I feel just as I look at this church, as I meet you, as I interact with you, I feel so proud of you. I feel so thankful. I want you to thrive. Um, I want you to be healthy. But, but more than that, I want you to be mature. To grow into maturity, and that's kind of what happens, right? When you uh, first, if you've ever had a chance to have a baby, when people ask you as you're expecting, hey, do you hope it's a boy or do you hope it's a girl? Almost everybody says the same thing. They say, I just want it to be healthy, right? And then the kid's born, and you still want it to be healthy, but at some point you start going, okay, I'm aiming for more than just healthy. I actually would like uh, a mature child eventually. I'd like to be able to have them not live here anymore, and that sort of thing. And so. You start moving into that, okay, I still want health, but I, I'm also aiming at maturity. And actually, think about this. And as parents, we're not raising children. We're raising adults who are currently children. Uh, I have four children that I get to help raise into adults. Uh, we've got a picture of my family here. I've been married to Molly for almost, or not almost, over 20 years. Uh, almost 21. And uh, Abby is 15. She's on the left. Then Caitlin is 13. Mary's 7. And Hank is 5. And um, we're kind of at that point now where, yes, we still want them to be healthy, and you don't want to take that for granted, but we're starting to go, okay, Abby's about to start driving, and we're starting to think about colleges, and what would it look like to actually not just be healthy, but be mature? That's kind of what Paul's doing in this in this passage, is, is he wants this church to be mature. If you haven't been with us through the, the letter of Colossians these last few weeks, the theme of the book of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ in all of life, that Jesus is Lord of all, and so everything we do is connected to him. It, it, it began by Paul saying, hey, I heard about you guys. I don't know you. I've never met you, but I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your love. I've heard of the hope that you have, and I am praying that God would just give you more and more and more. And what Paul realizes in this book is that more is Jesus. More is not more money, and it's not more success, and it's not more esteem, and it's not more acclaim. It's more of Jesus. And so last week what we looked at was just how big and glorious Jesus is, that he's the image of the invisible God, that he's the creator and the sustainer of all things, that in him all things hold together, that he's the one who reconciles all of creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the preview of the new creation to come. And he invites us to get in on it. And in this last little part where he's kind of setting up what he's about to do in the rest of the book, which is encourage them to hold fast to Jesus, he wants us in this passage to be mature in Christ. Look at verse 28. He says, uh, here's what drives his ministry. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's why I'm doing this, he says. That's why I'm proclaiming. That's why I'm warning. That's why I'm teaching. My goal in everything I do is to present people mature in Christ. Now, he, he says this same thing a couple of different ways later on in the passage. Look at verse 5. He says, For though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So maturity, you can describe it as the firmness of someone's faith. Another way to think about this is how do you respond when, when other things compete for your relationship with Jesus? That's verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, right? If you have a mature faith, you're firm, you're not easily led astray. Now, get this. Maturity doesn't mean that you don't sin. It doesn't mean you don't suffer. 
It doesn't mean you're never disappointed. It doesn't mean you don't grieve. Right? As, as happy as Mother's Day is, it's full of grief too. We think of losses and we think of disappointments and we think of all sorts of things. And, and mature people go, oh, that doesn't bother me. Mature doesn't mean you don't ever get mad at God. But mature means that through all those ups and downs, through all of that struggle and sin and suffering, you, you stay rooted to Jesus. You're firm in faith. You're not, you, you, your emotions might bounce around, but your loyalties never change. Now, one of the things we get confused is we think that experience equals maturity. Right? You meet someone who is older than you, though, they're more mature. Maybe. I've met some pretty immature 70-year-olds. I've met some pretty mature 20-year-olds. And vice versa. <laughs> More immature 20-year-olds, let's be honest. But experience and maturity aren't necessarily the same thing, right? Maturity is a little bit different, right? And so this is why, I mean... Just because you age doesn't mean you become more mature, right? Some people age like fine wine. Some people age like raisins. Right? They get not just skin wrinkly, but their, their spirit kind of shrivels up. They get cantankerous. They, they, they lose some of the joy. How are you going to age? How are you going to grow? Right? You're going to get more experience as you follow Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus. But, but are you going to be more mature? And that's what Paul is really after here. Here's some synonyms of mature, some ways of thinking about what does it mean to be mature. A full bloom, growing. Someone who's mature is dependable, wise, level-headed, deep, seasoned. Do those words describe you? If they don't, that's okay. We want you to be healthy, but that's where we want you to go. We want you to eventually be a deep person, a level-headed person, a wise person, a seasoned person, someone who's growing and in full bloom. The Old Testament language is to describe maturity as someone who's like a tree that's planted by streams of water, that no matter what sort of heat or weather comes against it, the tree stands firm. That's maturity. This word mature is used a number of places in the New Testament. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that God gave leaders to equip uh, the saints, verse 13 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, or just to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It says if you're mature, you're not just like a, a, a little bobby thing in the water that's just getting tossed to and fro. Philippians, he talks about this. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. People who are mature aren't just focused on the past. They're not growing bitter with that, but they're looking at the hopefulness of God's future. In James chapter 1, he says something just that makes no kinds of sense to us, but it echoes what Paul says here. Right in verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. James 1 says the same thing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What? Think about it as joy when you hit trials? Is this guy crazy? Why would you do that? Here's why. For 
you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That word full is the same Greek word for mature. Let it have its maturing effect. That you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. How does that sound? Full bloom, settled, wise, thriving, level-headed, not tossed to and fro. That, that sounds pretty good, huh? The question is, how do you get there? Will it be healthy? How, how do we aim toward that? What are the dimensions that have to be in play? And so here's what we're going to see from this text today is that there are actually three dimensions that, that are all got to be kind of part of the equation if we're going to grow in maturity. There's a practical dimension, there's a relational dimension, and there's a theological dimension. So that's what we're going to look at. Let's pray. Let's ask God's help and we'll get after it. Father, we pray now um, that you would send your spirit, that you would allow us to have our hearts and our imaginations captivated by what might be possible for us as we continue to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. All right, the first dimension of toward maturity, if you want to grow to maturity, this is part of it, is the practical dimension, and that is just hard work done in God's strength. Hard work done in God's strength. Notice some of the words in this text that are hard, difficult words. In verse 24, it talks about sufferings. In verse 25, Paul describes himself as a minister. Now, you think minister, you think of someone with like a collar. That word in Greek literally means servant. It's more like a waiter. How many think that being a waiter is a real cushy job? How many of you on Mother's Day today here wish you were a waiter? Uh, no thanks, right? It's rough. It's a, it's a toil word, right? There's sufferings. There's minister, servant. He says in verse 28, we proclaim, we warn, we teach, right? To proclaim, well, that sounds kind of fun, except for it's, a, it's tiring. This is announcing. This is exerting. Right? There's a reality. When, you, when you're proclaiming stuff, it, it takes a lot out of you. It, he says we're warning. Warning is this, this, like, who wants to be that guy? Hey, let me warn you about this again. Let me warn you about this again. Let me warn you about Because all these are present tense words. Proclaim, warning, teaching. Teaching. Anybody know a teacher? Whew. I mean, I just think after what teachers have been through the last few years. Good gracious. These are some tired people. It's exhausting to teach, right? He talks in verse 29 and verse 1 about toil and struggling and struggle. These are all exertion words. These are hard work words. It's hard work to suffer, to serve, to warn, to teach, to toil, to struggle, to struggle. It's tough to do that. Uh, one thing I just want to say, because sometimes people get confused about verse 24. Verse 24, uh, there's a lot of ink the commentators spend, spend on this verse because it, it sounds confusing. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, Paul says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. If you have the study guide we put out, there's a whole article that kind of dives into that further. What Paul's not saying is that somehow Jesus' death on the cross was insufficient. He's saying what's lacking is other people's awareness of Jesus' death on the cross. And so as he's going around and traveling, as he's going around and preaching, as he's probably writing this from prison, he is in a sense bearing the cost of getting the word out about all the afflictions of Jesus. In a sense, he's filling up what Jesus didn't do, which was get the word out to everybody. This is difficult effort. It's exhausting. It's toil. It's struggling. That, that word struggling in verse 29 is the Greek word 
I don't need someone. Like agony. It's probably a word actually he's using for prayer because in verse in chapter four, verse twelve, he used the same word to talk about that we're praying, we're struggling for you in prayer constantly. This is this is effort. Let me ask you, what have you gotten really good at in life with no effort? Some of you're like, I'm pretty good at being lazy. Well, that's not the only thing I can think of that, right? But even that takes some work. You got to clear your schedule, right? But I mean, this is this is just reality. Are you going to get good at a musical instrument with no effort? Are you going to get good in your career? Are you going to put in your ten thousand hours and get a master's degree or a doctorate? Are you going to are you going to get great at a sport? Are you going to have a wonderful marriage with no effort? No. So in a sense, it's like, well, of course, of course, if you're going to grow mature in your faith, there's a little bit of elbow grease you got to put into this thing, right? Listen, spiritually mature people pray. Spiritually mature people read their Bible. They get up early in the morning or they stay up late or they carve out some sort of time, but they have to somehow, sometime, stop something else and read the word. Spiritually mature people serve. Even when it's inconvenient. Right? Think about this. Mature people, they receive and give. They receive and give. They receive and give. What do immature people do? What do children do? Receive, receive, receive. Take, 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 take. Right? Some of you, it's Mother's Day. You're still going to do all the dishes? <laughs> right? Like, that's, listen, we expect it of children because they're immature. But mature Christians... They receive and they give. They receive and they give. They give of their time. They give of their money. They give of their effort. They give of their attention. Mature Christians participate in community. They attend church. They get involved in relationships. They love Christians. They love non-Christians. They love people who are difficult to love. They confess their sins. Listen, all of those things are actions, and all of those things take effort, right? Now, I know some of you are going like, wait a minute. This makes me real nervous because... I grew up maybe in a different faith tradition or in a different you know, Christian environment where like everything was about you got to get to work and you got to put in the elbow grease and you got to please God and if you don't do enough then God will never quite be happy with you. It sounds like that's what this is saying. Listen, I'm not saying that at all. I love the quote by Dallas Willard. He said this, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, right? If you're saying, I need to pray and read my Bible and serve and give and be in community and love people so that God will love me, eh, you're missing it. That's not biblical Christianity. That's religion. That's man-made religion of all stripes. Do good, then God will accept you. The gospel says God has accepted us in Christ. What we looked at last week, he's reconciled all things. He's reconciling us to himself by making peace by the blood of his cross. We are good with him. Now we, we do good. We do effort. Not to achieve anything, but because we already have it. It's saying, God, I've gotten a taste of you. I want more. That's why I pray. I want more God. That's why I open the Bible. I want to hear his voice. That's why I serve, because when I serve, I'm most like him. That's why I give, because God so loved the world that he gave. I want to be like that. So see, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You see this in verse 29. Look at what Paul says. 
He says, for all this stuff, I toil, struggling, get this, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You go, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul's going, I toil, I struggle, but I don't do it in my own power. I do it in his. I'm not relying on my own charge to kind of keep this effort going. Every, every day I plug into the Lord and he empowers me and he gives me the strength and he gives me the ability. Right? The, the maturing we're talking about, the effort we're talking about is like the effort of, of sailing. I don't, I've never been sailing. I'd like to go. My, my father-in-law I grew up sailing and we've uh, dreamed about maybe someday we'd all chip in and buy a boat. <laughs> we're not going. But if we did, I'd love to go with him. And, uh, and, and I know what we do is we'd be out on the sailboat, and, and part of sailing involves effort. Like, it takes some effort to, to get out there and to hoist up the sail. But you can hoist up the sail and go nowhere, right? You hoist up the sail, but what has to happen? The wind's going to blow. The wind doesn't blow if the sail doesn't pop. You're not going anywhere. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I suffer, and I proclaim, and I warn, and I teach, and I serve, and I toil, and I struggle, and I do all that, and all that is is raising the sail. And, 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 and maturity happens when the Spirit of God goes, fills my life. So there's a practical dimension, hard work done in his strength, but if that's it for you, if that's the only thing you think is going to help you be mature, is I just got to try harder. Mm, ain't going to happen. There's some more dimensions. The second one is this, a relational dimension. A relational dimension, the language Paul uses in chapter 2, verse 2, is the knit together in love. Maturity is not a solo project. This is so disappointing because uh, we just sort of, a lot of us imagine, what if I could just get all my books and get all my podcasts and get all my audio books and get all the like, best Instagram memes that made me go, and I could just kind of just be by myself forever. I'd be so mature. No. You wouldn't. You'd know a lot. Ah. Ah. See, that reveals something, doesn't it? We equate maturity with knowledge. We equate maturity with insight, with information. That's part of it. But Paul says, here's what I pray for, verse 2. I pray that your hearts would be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In other words, I want you to have knowledge. I want you to have understanding of God's mystery, which is Christ. I want you to know that. And you can't know that stuff unless you are knit together in love. All the books in the world without love will not make you more like Christ. At least they won't make you mature. We have to be knit together. Maturity requires multiplicity. Not just one, but many people. And notice, it's knit together in love. I, uh, someone told me about this, and I was like, there's, there's no way this can be true. And I talked about this in the last service, and my daughter, even afterwards, was like, is that real? And I was like, yeah, that's real. And what I heard about is these people who uh, decided to make their own trampolines, right? I don't know if you have a trampoline, but I, you, know, you think about a trampoline that's just kind of knitting together, it's weaving together, you know, some sort of fabric that's going to bounce. Well, these people decided we're going to knit together a trampoline, only we're going to make it out of barbed wire. And, uh, yeah, 
And I thought, I, I found this on YouTube, which I 100% certainty you will all go search now. I, I was like, I can't, I can't show that on a Sunday, but you will all go look for it. And what they do is they literally put together a trampoline made of barbed wire and they climb up on a ladder and launch off. There's a name for these people in all the videos. They all go by the same name. It's called Redneck. And this is real. Right, this is like, if there should be such a thing as a Darwin Award, like, you know what, maybe, maybe we should just clean the gene pool a little bit. Let's let these people do that. And so, so they're jumping off. I mean, it's just great, right? And be able to knit together. Yeah, not in love. So our relationships, we're called to be knit together, but in love. Where there's some, I, I like the, the image of a trampoline, actually. There's some give, there's some resiliency, there's some bounce, there's some life, there's some ability to withstand some stuff. Isn't that kind of what maturity is? It's not rigid, it's not fragile, it's not easily shattered, and it's not slicing people's backs open with little barbs of jealousy and gossip and did you hear about and good temperedness. It's knit together in love. True or false? True or false question. People who are mature obey the Bible. True or false? True. At least they try, right? We don't always. But mature people, over time, you're going, yeah, I'm going to try to obey the Bible. Well, if you try to obey the Bible, what you find is maturity is not something you do by yourself. It requires lots of one another's. There's so many one another's in the Bible. Here's a few samples. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Serve one another. Bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. Encourage one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Carry one another's burdens. All of these are plural. All of these are knit together in love. Listen, if you put in a lot of effort to just know a lot, but you don't put in some effort to relate to people in love, to admit your sin and ask someone to forgive you, to have a difficult conversation with a close person that says, you know what? Sometimes I feel like I don't know myself real well. You, when I'm kind of being a moron and you can tell I, I don't know about it, will you tell me? Will you help me love? Here's what Ray Orland says. He says, the kind of God we really believe in is revealed in how we treat one another. The lovely gospel of Jesus positions us to treat one another like royalty, and every non-gospel positions us to treat one another like dirt. But we will follow through horizontally on whatever we really believe vertically. So get this. There's a practical dimension. There's some work to do. But if that's all you have, you're just like every other religion. If it's well, like some practical effort plus a desire to love, well, still you're just kind of like every other religion. You might be like, I guess, a more mature person than a lot of other people out there if that's all you're doing is comparing yourself to someone. But if the goal, get this, if the goal is maturity in Christ, then there's a third dimension that's really key. It's a theological dimension. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? If all you got is put in some effort and try to be nice, well, I mean, I got a mosque you can go to. I got a temple with a gold guy at the top that'll help you with that. I got a self-help section at Barnes and Noble. You're good. But Paul said, no, no, no. I got something even better for you. 
It's not about just your effort. It's not just about your horizontal thing. It's about this vertical thing that God's doing in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul puts it in this language that's just spectacular. He says that actually the theological dynamic that is going to create the maturity that you long to have to be one of those deeply rooted trees, this is something people forever have sought after, but it just remained a mystery. They didn't know about it. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't fully get their arms around it. Look at verse 25. He says, I became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known and the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He's saying, I've become a servant of this message. I want to make the word of God fully known because there's been a mystery. There's been something people forever, for ages and generations, they've tried to figure this out. They've tried to get their arms around it and they can't do it. And now. It's been revealed. It's been set forth. It's not a mystery anymore. The mystery is no longer a mystery is what he's saying. Now, a lot of times when a mystery gets kind of uncovered, you go, oh, that was it. Like I, I was in Turkey a few months ago uh, visiting a pastor friend there that I coach and that's a church planner doing incredible work. And got to spend time with his family. And he has an 11-year-old son named Eunice. And Eunice, uh, I ended up calling Eunice the Magnificent. Because uh, Eunice had all, he always had a deck of cards with him. He just would do card trick after card trick after card trick. And, and I said, man, where did you learn all this? He said, oh, I learned it from my friend, YouTube. <laughs> I was like, you're a little punk. Anyway, but he just would do these amazing tricks. And then I go, like, sometimes I go, hey, how did you do that? Or he'd say, hey, do you, want, do you want to see how I did it? And I'd be like, yes. And I'd pull out my phone, I'm recording. And he'd show you and be like, oh, that was it. That was all I was waiting for. Like, oh, I'm an idiot. How did I not see how you did that? But this mystery, Paul's saying, like, th this is better than those people. They didn't understand it, and, and they couldn't have understood it. It is so deep. It is so profound. Verse 26, it's the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now it's revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. So this is a, this is a thing that's not just for Jews. It's not... Uh, just for one particular ethnic group or one particular people from one particular background. This is for Gentiles, as he says three times in verse 28. It's for everyone, everyone, everyone. This is a mystery that was a mystery to Abraham and to Moses and to Job and to David. It was a mystery to Ruth. It was a mystery to Deborah. It was a mystery to Rahab. It was a mystery to Isaiah. But now it's been revealed among the Gentiles, the riches of the glory of this mystery, here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. This is the mystery. This Christ that we talked about last week, the one who's the creator, the sustainer, the initiator of new creation, the one who's reconciling all things. Paul says, here's the mystery, is now he's in you. That's not like, oh, wow, I'm, now what do you got for me? No, that's the whole thing. Right? Like if you hear that and go, well, the main takeaway from this sermon was I need to try harder. <clears throat> you missed it. No, no, no. Because Christ is in you, you pursue him. And you love him. And you enjoy him. And you go hard after him. And you try to make him known in your relational world. But this is the theological dimension. This is the hope of glory. Christ in you. Get this. It's not Christ in and you. It's Christ in you. If all you have is Christ and you, you go, you know what? Jesus is my co-pilot, but I'm still driving. 
I don't want to get in that car. Because I know you'll take it where I would take it. You'll take it towards self, and you'll take it toward pride, and you'll take it toward ego, and you'll take it toward money and stuff, and you'll take it where we all take it. If it's just Christ and you. And it's, it's not like this tag team thing. Like Jesus on the cross, you know, kind of did his best and then tagged you into the ring and said, all right, get going. That's Christ and you. That's religion. Paul says, I got something better. It's Christ in you. The filling of Christ in you. What he's basically been saying in this book so far is he's going, you know, when, when you put your hope in Christ, your faith and your trust in Christ, what happened is the Spirit of God came into you. The presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit came into you, right, like air being blown into a balloon. And the balloon's now this big, right? There's air in this balloon. There's life of Christ. There's the Spirit of Jesus in this balloon. Is the balloon full? Kind of feels like a trick question, doesn't it? Is the balloon full? Yeah. It's, it's filled with air. It's not a little floppy thing. It's full. What Paul's doing is he's saying, listen, here's what I want for you. I want you to be filled. I want you to be mature. I want you to be firm. I want you to grow. I want this. I want more of Christ. And that's what the process of following him is going to be. This balloon gets more full and more full and more full and more full, and it'll never pop. That's what he wants for us. So if you feel like, you know what, I, I, man, I, I followed Jesus for 40 years. I mean, I feel like I've heard it all. I'm not saying you haven't heard it all, but I'm saying Jesus wants more for you. If you've been at this for like 10 seconds, and you go, I don't know anything, like they said Colossians, and I was like, oh, is there a table of contents? There is, by the way. God put one there. He knew you'd need it. When you go like, man, I, this is just so awesome. I don't know, sick and forget you, but boy, this is amazing. It is amazing. And it's going to get better. It'll be hard. There'll be toil. There'll be suffering. There'll be affliction. People will turn on you. It won't be easy. But you'll have Christ in you. Love the Lord. That's the mystery. That's the thing. That's the treasure. It's Christ. This is what Jesus wants. He, he wants to so fill your life that not only do you become like him, but you become like he would be if he were you. That his life begins to flow through your personality and your gifts and your passions and your interests. That he begins to just animate everything that is filling your life in such a way that you're the same person, but you're a new person. More and more and more like that fine wine. More and more and more like that deeply rooted tree. Firm. Level-headed. Wise. Joyful. Filled with the fullness that's what he wants for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the offer of maturity in this passage. And we thank you for the opportunity to keep pursuing you. God, we want to work hard and we want to put in some effort. But God, oh, help protect us from any temptation to do it in our own strength. God, help us to toil and struggle with the energy that you powerfully work within us. 
God, would you be the one that knits us together? Would you be the one that helps us to experience the fullness of life with you? God, you have filled us by your spirit. Would you fill and fill and fill and keep filling all for your glory and praise? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.